0: All right, let's get into this because we got a lot to go through today, and I don't want to keep you all here all afternoon. Well, I kind of do because I like this, but that's just besides the point. You don't want to be here all afternoon. So let's start right out in Psalm 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercy, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. You guys realize that if we were in a black church right now, they'd be shouting, hooping, hollering, amen, and preach it, brother, pop that clutch, something, I mean, that's all right, we're white, I get it, so... My dream as a pastor is always to have a black choir. That is my ultimate goal in life. And I'll, I'll tell you guys a funny story. I don't know if I, I haven't shared this with too many people, but uh, after we had moved here, I had a dream that it was a Sunday morning and I overslept. Now, you need to understand something about me. I don't oversleep. I barely sleep as it is, but I don't oversleep. I hate late, and I, like if I'm not up by 6 a.m., it bothers me. And it doesn't happen very often. I haven't used an alarm clock since before Ariana was born and she was 13 years old. So if I gotta be up at 4 a.m., I'll set the alarm, but I'll wake up and watch it go off. That's just how I'm wired. I don't know why. Be that as it may, I have this dream which turned into a nightmare because I overslept and it is ten thirty five. And where should I be? Not in bed. So I'm getting I'm thinking, man, what excuse am I going to give? How am I going to explain this? Like there's no excuse for oversleeping. And I walk in through these back doors and up on stage was a black choir. Hallelujah. And I walked in, I'm like, that's God right there. I mean, and then it was, it was uh, that's the end of the story. I just like that story. I can't, I can't, I just, I woke up, it's like, I so want one because they're so talented. Y'all are stuck with me. And I'm sorry, I, I, like, I can't help it, but man, that'd be some talent. Anyway, let's get on track. So, if, but in all seriousness, you think about in Psalm 103, like there is something to shout about and be excited about, because this is a promise of God. David is not sitting here just telling you like, hey, I just want you to know this piece of information. This is out of his worship. God, this is who you are. How did he know that? Did David have a face-to-face relationship with God? No. Was his relationship the same that we have today with God? No. And yet, look at what he says. God, this is who you are. You see, the reason he knew that is because he knew the Word. Yeah, it was in scrolls, and yeah, it was taught in the temple. and Well, not the temple at that point, but I mean, in synagogues. No, they didn't have synagogues. They really didn't have that at that point. It was just taught. It was red, it was something that they had for him, and he knew the character of God. The only way he could commune with God in any way to know what God was specifically saying to him is he had to have some guy come over and tell him. And there, for a while, those words weren't, weren't good. You see, here's the thing, and this is the point I want to make today as we get into what's a bit of a controversial subject, is we, number one, need to know what this says. We need to know it. Because we can have opinions all we want. If they're not grounded in something, that's all they are. You are entitled to your opinion, you're not entitled to your own facts. Number two is, is, is we as believers in Christ should say, God, I want everything that you have for me, every promise. Whatever you've said in your word, I want that because I know you've given it to me for a reason. and It is because I need it. And so with that thought in mind, we have been talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We've been talking about in the Word how you can see, and it's pretty clear, there are more than one baptism. It's a word that we have now associated with strictly water. But there was a time that that wasn't the case. Because even Jesus said it. He said, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He said, listen guys, I need you all to hang out in Jerusalem. They had received the Spirit within, but they had not received the Spirit upon. And the Spirit upon is what gave them the power to go out and do the works and do the miracles and do all of those things. Was that just to the original 12 disciples? It can't be because there was 120 of them up in that upper room. And they all received the Holy Spirit. And they all went out there and began to do the work. And we read about the Acts of the Apostles because that is the name of the book called the Acts of the Apostles. It's not the Acts of the Holy Spirit, it's the Acts of the Apostles. But we even read about minor characters such as Philip who went out, preached the gospel, performed miracles just like the apostles did. So it wasn't just relegated to a group of individuals, it was an expectation and a promise of the Father that was poured out upon them. And so as we get into this today, we have to keep in mind is we just want whatever the Word says belongs to us. And that's where we should leave it, because we're going to get into a bit of a taboo subject. So let's do this. First question for you is this, how do we know if somebody is born again? If I walked up to Janet, and I'm going to pick on her because she likes that, what about Janet would tell me if she's born again or not? Do you get like a, a certain jacket that you wear? It's like, oh, I'm a Christian now. Do you get a cross necklace? You're you talking about this, more, this morning. Maybe we get a tattoo? Yeah. What's that? That sends you to hell. She said you could get an Ohio State jacket. We want to make heaven, so... For those of you that are into prayer and fasting, you may want to do it on Katie's behalf because she's cruising. But, but seriously, like if we went up, what is it about Janice's life that we have confidence that she is a born-again believer? How can we tell? It's not like you walk around and you get a halo. Boy, wouldn't that be easy. Like, oh, they're in and then she has horns, right? That's one way. Horns. No? No? Okay. Listen, I don't want to talk about football, okay? Can we just move on? Because I'm sad. Anyway, but how can we tell? We have to, again, go to the works, or go to the Word. We'll see what it says. In Galatians 5, verse 19, starting in verse, uh, excuse, starting in verse 19, it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Pause. What does he say? When he says flesh, what is he talking about? This is Paul speaking. The church in Galatia. He's saying the outer man So the works of the flesh are evident. Then he goes into a list of them, not all-encompassing, mind you. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but... The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So if we live in the Spirit, then let us walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now Paul's getting on to these guys here and laying this out here. And we could spend all day just talking about this. But what we're seeing is we've got the fruit of the flesh and we have the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, you will know them by their works, right? It's the fruit. So how do we know if somebody's born again? We should begin to see fruit bear in their lives. We were talking about this a little bit this morning. About how if you are a, a branch connected to the core of the tree will produce fruit, not out of any effort of its own, but because it is. And so, how can we tell if somebody's born again? We should see fruit in their lives. For those of you that own a TV, you may have heard recently that Kanye West is now a Christian. Is anybody else skeptical? I pray that he is. I hope that he is. But we've been down this path before. We've seen people that claim that. Some of you are sitting there thinking like, well, they claim Donald Trump is a Christian. Have you seen him? Yeah, listen, I know. It doesn't matter. We should know them by their fruits. We should be able to look at somebody and see, yes, there is something that's changed in them. may not be immediately, but we begin to see that. So if we can look at them and say, okay, we can tell somebody who... Is possibly a Christian because they have now crucified their flesh with its passion and desires. They're no longer working in the flesh, but they're living in the Spirit. Can we do the same thing with anything else when it comes to God? Because there's two parts that Jesus brought to our attention. One is that we must be born again. And then we see this idea of this baptism in water that we, we when we do this, we're, it's a sign to the world that I am now, I died with Christ, I've been raised new but you can't have one without the other you have to be born again and then you're baptized being baptized is great but it doesn't matter if your heart is not crucified if you have not done that then all you just did was get a bath and not a good one either I mean honestly if we think about this it's the idea of baptizing babies why do we do that can they make a decision for Christ no they can't make a decision for anything The same could be said about teenagers if you want to really get honest. Because you don't know which way's up half the time. But here's the deal. Is that you have an order of events. Born again, heart change in that moment. How does one do that? Well, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. It's really that simple. There is nothing more to it. It's not this bow your head, raise your hand, come up, cry up at the altar. It's how... You give your heart to God It's what we do. Then we are baptized. But this idea of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Is there a way to see if somebody is baptized in the Holy Spirit? And what I'm going to show you today that there is. And I'm going to write it down on this board. And I'm telling you, this is controversial. As you're going to see, With almost every example that we read today, and these are things that we have read every week, is that every time somebody is what we call baptized in the Spirit, because that's what Jesus called it, that they pray in tongues. Now, what we're not going to do is get into what tongues is, we will get into that next week. But we just want to begin to see, is there an evidence, is there something that we can look to? If we can look to somebody and say whether they are born again or not. Now, again, that's not foolproof because people act out, people get wrong. Ultimately, God knows their heart. But is there something evident in the flesh with that? So let's do this. Acts chapter 2. We've been reading these, these same five chapters the last couple of weeks. And each week we pull something a little bit different out of it. You know why we do that? Because I don't want you to take a drink out of a fire hose. You know the best way to eat an elephant? One bite at a time. We're taking this slow, we're building this brick by brick. I know some of you probably are wishing he would, can he move on to something else? Anything else, please. But the thing is, is we need to understand this. This was so important to the, the life of the apostles that Jesus said, do nothing until the moment we're about to read. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, we're going to stop there for a minute. Now, if you know your Old Testament, as these guys would have, This event sounds eerily similar to another event that was crucial to the nation of Israel. It was at the moment of the giving of the law. When Moses goes up on the mountain, what did they see? You hear the noise. It was thunderings and wind blowing and all of that. And there was fire on the mountain. This would make these guys, these Jewish men, hear that. They would recognize that, like, boy, there is something, something different there. Now, what do we see here? That they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to get into what that means because these terms get flip-flopped a lot. Because what do we think when we think about fill? We're talking about internally. Well, we know the apostles already were. They already received the Holy Spirit. So this term, filled with the Spirit, has multiple meanings, and we'll see that later on. But what do we notice? They begin to speak with other tongues, Right? That word tongues is the Greek word glossalia. It literally means tongue. It means languages. It means speech. So, what is so supernatural about that? They began to speak in tongues. This is the first time we see it. It's not the last time. Well, let's go to verse 5. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Why were they all there? It was the Feast of Pentecost. They had to come back to Jerusalem. And when this sound occurred, what sound? The wind. Here, it's loud. Again, they weren't feeling it, they were hearing it. The multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. So, what were they doing? They were speaking languages that were unknown to them. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? So, why do they say Galileans? Galileans were uneducated. They were looked down upon. They were second class citizens. They were not educated. They did not go to the finest use of universities. They were not well trained in the Greek thought process and all of that stuff. These were just your everyday guys. Yeah, they were fishermen, they were Galileans. There is a guy here in Missouri who is a uh, a bouncer by trade, and yet he is a genius mathematician. You'd have never known it by me. His first name's Chris, which is no coincidence. I can't think of his last name now, but I'd seen something on him a couple of years ago. He came to the conclusion that God is real by doing his mathematic formulas. And when this everyday guy sits there and does the mathematic formulas, you won't understand any of it because he's smarter than you and I. He does not have an Ivy League education. He went to the University of Nebraska. That's a joke. That didn't happen. I'm just kidding. I just, I just had to get it in there. It's, that's not true. If he'd, if he'd truly gone there, he probably wouldn't be able to talk. But Anyway, so there's something that's going on here because these guys do not have the education to be fluent in multiple languages. We got verse nine: Parthians and Medes and Elamites and those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. So, what does that mean? Gentiles. They became Jews. They they transferred in. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they're speaking these languages and magnifying God. What if they were saying, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me? I mean, we don't know, but what if that's what they're saying? They're speaking these wonderful works of God. And verse 12, so they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? And others mocking said, they are full of new wine. Now this is powerful. We have a supernatural event that's going on here. These men, 120 of them, are just minding their business, doing what Jesus had said. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. And suddenly they're speaking languages unknown to them, but was known to those hearing. Men from all over the, the world at that point where they were brought to Jerusalem, hearing the wonderful works of God in their own language. Man, that's cool, isn't it? You realize that you still hear about these events happening today. I heard about a story, uh, I'm going to mix up some of the details, but you'll get the gist of it, who she had come to America, she was from, I believe, Japan, spoke zero English. But she had come over here, was in a church service, and the man began praying in tongues, but all she heard was the Japanese, and she said she had never heard God spoken of in such a way. This man had no idea what he was saying, none. This type of stuff happens today. So what did we learn about tongues? We've seen at this moment that the Holy Spirit came upon them, and that was a result of that action. Yes? We also see what tongues is doing. Right? It is them speaking languages unknown to them. So that must be what tongues does. Right? Well, that's what it says. Now, we'll come back into that next week, I promise. But for right now, let's just focus on what happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon somebody. Verse 14, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So he's making a defense. Listen, guys, they aren't drunk. You don't suddenly learn new languages when you're drunk. They hear them speaking in tongues, they're like, well, they got to be drunk. What else can it be? And think about this just for a moment, is that there are so many men around, and they hear some guy speaking their language, and they hear other guys speaking a bunch of gibberish. All right. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, verse 17. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God. Okay, so this is a prophecy by Joel, that whenever the last days is, that this is what's going to happen. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. How does he pour his spirit out? On all flesh. On. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Now, I want to point this out here. Remember how his, they talked about how they were filled with the Holy Spirit? And then Peter is explaining this event through this that he poured his spirit out on all flesh. Okay? On my men servants and my maid maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, Peter's laying this out here. This is what was spoken by Joel. Listen, guys. God said, in the last days, that means that at that moment, the last days have now begun. This was 2,000 years ago. Where do you think we are? Or maybe a hair closer. That He will pour out His Spirit on all flesh. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men see vision. Old men see dreams or have dreams or whatever. Men servants, maid servants, all of them, He's going to pour out His Spirit in those days. Now let me ask you this. Are we still in those days have to be unless they've ended unless God came back and nobody told us it has to be still in those days so what does that mean that means he's still pouring out his spirit right it has to that has to be what that means so they're gonna prophesy They'll show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood. These are all signs, birth pains, if you will, of the great and awesome day of the Lord when Christ will return. And guess what? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now watch what he says. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, he was a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. See, the time of denying the works of Christ is over. They know what happened. Where was Jesus killed? Jerusalem. Where was he buried? Jerusalem. Where was he resurrected? In Jerusalem. So you knew... What happened? Everybody there knows what had taken place just 50 days prior. We're we're a month and a half out. We're not very far away. You knew what happened. If you didn't know, it would be very easy to prove. Watch what he says. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. So guess what, folks? This wasn't you. It was God's plan. You have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Now, this is powerful in this moment in Jerusalem. Because if you came to me and you said, my grandma died, I'd be sad with you. I'm sorry to hear that. And you said, she was buried out there at the cemetery. Pick any cemetery around you here you want. I said, but guess what? She came back. She gets alive. Now, you can do one of a couple of things. You can bring her into my office, and if I knew her, that might be convincing. But how could I prove that this wasn't true? I could grab a shovel. I could go out there. I could dig her up and say, sorry, your grandma's right there. They're in Jerusalem. They're 50 days from the time that Jesus had died and had been resurrected. All they'd have to do is go and look at the grave to see if this isn't true. You see, it was the power of God that was proven to them. These guys knew this was going on. You think about it. Jesus did not just come back quietly. There was a lot that was going on in that time that he was with them. Forty days. A lot that was going on. Everybody knew about it. So this was not just something quiet that happened. This was powerful. Verse 25, David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. This is David speaking, prophesying. Verse 29, men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. So he's making a case that this wasn't talking about himself. You know how they can prove that? They could go dig him up. They could go back there and see his bones, see where his grave is, and show that that was him. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his body, David's body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. Thus, In other words, if you didn't know that the promise was given to David was ultimately talking about Jesus sitting on his throne, reigning from Jerusalem, Peter just told us that. Now, how do we know that there is going to be a millennial reign of Christ on this earth? Because he never did it. Thus, if he doesn't happen, his promise to David was a lie. It has to happen. That's a side note. That part's free. I'm not charging you extra. Verse 31. He foreseeing this spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. That word Hades is referring to the grave. Jesus, God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and you now hear. How, who baptizes in the Holy Spirit? Jesus does. He received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, and he poured this out. You see it, and you hear it. What did they hear? They heard two things. They heard the wind, and they heard the tongues. This is what you see. This is what you hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Now, we've got to stop here for a minute, because when did this process stop? Well, he just said that the promise, that what promise is that? The promise of the Holy Spirit is to you, your children, and all who are afar off. Are we afar off? Absolutely, we are. We're 2,000 years. That's pretty far, if you ask me. As many as the Lord, our Lord will call. So he's going back and saying this event where the Holy Spirit was poured out on people is a promise to all who are afar off. Now, some will argue this, and I'm going to give you this information, but I want you to think about this, is that they will say that the, there's something called prescription and something called description. The book of Acts is not prescribing a method, but simply describing the events that happened. That's why they wrote them down. So in other words, this isn't something that we can glean from or have an expectation of because it's simply describing it. It is not prescribing how we should behave. There's a problem with that. Who gets to decide which parts are prescription and which parts are descriptions? Because if you're going to make that argument, then you also have to use that throughout the entirety of Scripture. And guess what, folks? All the patterns throughout them are simply descriptions not prescriptions. Remember how I've said it, and I've said it multiple times. God works in predictable patterns. If we cannot look at a pattern of God, then we have a problem. Okay? You guys with me? All right, now let's go on because we see this thing going on. We see what's happening here. We see the tongues. Verse 40, and with many other words... He testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation, those who gladly received his word and were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. This again is hearkening back to the time of the giving of the law. 3,000 men lost their lives that day as a result of their disobedience. He's saying uh, to repent from this wicked generation. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and good, divided them among all as anyone had need. Any, and continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved." So at this point, they're not facing persecution. There was a fear and a reverence. There's like something has gone on here, and they were still welcome in the temple. This is going to change, but as of right now, this is what's going on. So what did we see here when we notice? We see the Holy Spirit coming upon this group, and they spoke in tongues, right? So all we're going to focus on right now. How did that happen? He came corporately upon them. Nobody laid hands on another. There was nothing like that that took place. So we see the Holy Spirit fall upon them. And how did they know that that happened? Because they spoke in tongues. Again, we'll go next week and talk about what those tongues are. But for right now, that's what we see happen. Let's see if we see that anywhere else. As I said, there are five chapters in the book of Acts that specifically address a similar situation. So let's see if we see a pattern develop. Is that fair? Because as I've said, we can glean as a prescription from the patterns that we see in Scripture, Acts chapter eight, verse four. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Now, why were they scattered? Because of, of uh, oh my goodness, his name slips my mind. Starts with an S. We just killed Janet. I'm looking at you, Simon. No, Stephen. Thank you. Stephen was just killed. They're being persecuted. They're scattering. They're moving apart. Those, therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Now, you need to understand how enormous of a moment that this is. Because the Jews don't go to Samaria. Remember, Jesus was talking to a Samaritan woman. And it wasn't just that she's a woman that they were, everybody was shocked that he was talking to her. She was a Samaritan woman. They were looked down as half-Jews because they had intermarried with the Greeks and the Jews, and so they, had, they also had their own temple up there, and there was an argument over, like, which temple's better and who worships God better. I mean, there's all of this stuff that was going on there. So Philip went to the city of Samaria, and he preached Christ to them. And the multitudes, with one accord, heeded the things spoken by Philip, because they heard and they saw the miracles which he did. So he preached the word, and the signs followed. Does that line up with what Scripture says? Absolutely. Mark 16. Unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. Could you imagine? I mean, you got demon-possessed people; they're getting set free. You got sick people getting well. You got lame people who can't walk are getting up and walking. Yeah, I'd say there's joy in that city. But. There was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in that city. And he astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with their sorceries for a long time. So what did Simon do? Well, he went in there and preached his gospel and the signs followed. And they were convinced this man is a great man of God. Which God? Didn't matter, really. Yeah, there were multiple gods worshiped, but they're still talking about Yahweh. Because there was a Jewish sect up there. They did have their own temple. They did worship Yahweh. Not all of them did, but a lot of them did. This is a great man of God. And why were they convinced? Because of the signs, wonders, and miracles. Fast forward to the end times because we're talking about the Holy Spirit being poured out in the last days. Many will be convinced because the Antichrist will do what? Perform false signs. And false miracles. So nothing's changed. Does the supernatural convince people of things? You bet it does. Does it convince everybody? Nope. So they're being moved by what they see. This is why we have to be so careful of that. But when they believed Philip... As he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. So here is the previous one that was considered a great man of God. He was a believer and he was baptized. He was amazed at what was happening because guess what? He couldn't do that. It's kind of like when when Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh, there was a few things they could do. Don't think they were just parlor tricks. I mean, there was things that they could do, but they couldn't keep up. So he's amazed. Now verse 14, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. And when they had come down, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, do you receive the Holy Spirit when you're born again? Yes, but are you baptized in the Holy Spirit when you're born again? No, or they wouldn't have needed Peter and John to go up there and lay hands on them. So how did they receive the Holy Spirit? They laid hands on them. So we've seen one time corporately, we've seen another time that the laying on of hands of the apostles, in this case, uh, they received the Holy Spirit. And what sign do we see of them receiving the Holy Spirit? It doesn't say. Doesn't say, does it? Did it say that they prayed in tongues? It does not. Now, remember, Simon is blown away at the works of Philip. So let's read forward a little bit. Verse 18. And when Simon saw that through the laying, on, uh, the laying on of the apostles' hand, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, just so you know, this was a really bad idea. But Peter said to him, your money perished with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your hearts may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Now, stop there for a minute. Now, there are many who will sit there and say, you see, Simon wasn't truly born again. Because otherwise, he wouldn't have said this. They said that he was born again. So we're going to go with that. But what we also see is that there wasn't like this miracle where all this downloaded knowledge was put into him that he knew exactly how this worked. This man was somebody great, respected. And now this is going to change because you've got Philip, who was a big deal, and you've got Peter and John, who are a big deal. and Who is Simon? Guys, I want in. What do I got to do? Let me give you money. He was a wealthy guy. All of them were. So... He is wanting whatever they have, and they tell him, you need to repent. And Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for me that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Now, again, what do we see? We see that the laying on of the hands of the Holy Spirit comes upon these people. But do we see them pray in tongues? No, we don't. I'm going to tell you that this is the only case where it's not spoken of. Now, does that mean that it didn't happen? Not necessarily. Because if we're going to look at patterns, then we're going to see a pattern to begin to develop. Now, whatever was going on, Simon wanted it. Was it the praying of tongues? Was it the miracles? I don't know. What he wanted to pay for was the ability to give people the Holy Spirit. All right? So we see a pattern develop here. So, let's go to chapter 9, verse 1. You guys know this one. Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, tremb- he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul rose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. And then they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. He was three days without sight, and he neither ate nor he drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, here am I, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, so that he might receive his sight. And Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, who, how much harm he has done to your saints, Uh, In Jerusalem. And he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him many things that he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once. And he arose, and he was baptized, and so he had received food, and he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. So what happened? Paul, no doubt who Jesus was. Very likely is born again in this moment. I think we can infer that. Once you have an encounter with Jesus in that regard, I don't think the doubt is there any longer. We, see, we hear about the stuff today going on in the Muslim nation where Jesus is appearing to Muslims and they are converting to Christianity over that. Okay? Now some have tried to argue that that's demonic that's going on. These are false things. I don't know too many demons that are out there preaching the gospel in people's dreams. Maybe it happens. I don't know. But we see that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit. How was this done? Through the laying on of the hands of Ananias. Who was Ananias? He wasn't one of the twelve. So we see again that being used by God, people who are outside of the twelve. That's very important. Why do I say that? Because many will tell you that when the apostles died, the gifts died with the last apostle, because this is who this was about. So we see that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. We see the same terminology that was used in Acts chapter 2. And when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit comes upon them, and they speak in tongues. Did Paul speak in tongues? doesn't say it. So we got Acts chapter 8, where it doesn't say anything about them speaking in tongues. And now we've got Acts chapter 9, where it doesn't talk about Paul speaking in tongues. Except for one thing. We know that Paul did he says in 1 Corinthians 14:18, "I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all." Now, when did he start that? Can we infer it was from this moment on? Did he do it immediately? We don't know. It doesn't say it does it. So, we're not going to just sit there and assume that it happened in that moment, but what we can very confidently assume is that he said that he prayed in tongues. So, we see it. Doesn't tell us what they were. It just says that he did. You guys with me so far? So two of the three cases we know for a fact that they prayed in tongues, okay? Now, let's go on to chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Send now men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants, a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open, an object like a great sheep bound at the four corners, ascending to him, and let down to the earth. And in it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, Not so, Lord, I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again, What God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken into heaven. While Peter wondered within himself that what the vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate, and they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. Now, this would freak any Jew out because a Roman soldier had sent people to find Peter. Okay? It would freak anybody out. Verse 19, while Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down, go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he who you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away. With them and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day that they entered Caesarea, now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friend. As Peter was coming, and Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And he talked with him, and he went in and found many who had come together. And he said to him, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, for what reason have you sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I was sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. And Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. The word, that word you know, which you also was proclaimed throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee... After the baptism, which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living of the dead, to him all the prophets witness that through his name whoever believes in him will receive remissions of sins. Man, he preached the gospel to him. So look what happens. While Peter was still speaking, these words the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Man, that's powerful. How did they know? For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And Peter answered, Can can anyone forbid that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. So, We have the Holy Spirit falling upon the Gentiles, just like he did the Jews, just like he did in Acts chapter 2. And so here he is, he comes down, Peter did not lay hands on them, he came down upon them. Why? Because they believed the message that Peter preached. They received the Messiah. And so the Jews were shocked that God is pouring his Spirit out on these Gentiles like he did us. But how did they know? They heard them speaking in tongues. In other words, the speaking in tongues seems to be a sign that the Holy Spirit has come upon somebody. That doesn't tell us what tongues is. It just tells us that it, it appears to be a sign. And then we know what happens in the next chapter. Because Peter goes back. he says, listen up, y'all. Here's what happened. Because word got to, to the Jews over there in Jerusalem that, first of all, Peter went there. Because how dare he? What are you thinking, Peter? Do you not know the rules? That's outside of the rules. Don't go to them. You can go to anybody else. Don't go to them. And he said, now listen, I was shocked just like you were. And I had this vision. And he told me to eat all these unclean animals. And I said, no, I'm not going to do it. But God said, don't call anything common or unclean that I've called clean. And then these men show up, and the Holy Spirit told me to go with them. And so I did. And as I got there and I began preaching to them, I watched the Holy Spirit come upon them Just like he did us at the beginning. So now he is saying that this event is exactly like the event that happened in Acts chapter 2. And not only that, but this is the words that Jesus said, Not many days from now the Holy Spirit will come upon you. John indeed baptized with water. I will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. You see, he is not only... Comparing this event to the promise that Jesus made. He's also comparing it to the event that happened in Acts chapter 2. Right? That's what he does in chapter 11. So if that's the case, we can now look at the pattern that is beginning to develop. Because Acts chapter 2 is the exact same as Acts chapter 10. Right? That's what it says. And what do we see? We saw in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. They spoke in tongues. We see in chapter 8 that the Holy Spirit came upon them through the laying on of hands. We don't see him speaking tongues. We see in chapter 9 that the Holy Spirit came upon Paul at the laying on hands of Ananias. And what do we see? We don't see him speaking tongues there, but we know that he did. So we can kind of do the math, put that together. It was certainly resolved, result. And now we see in chapter 10. So three out of the four chapters, we see as the Holy Spirit comes upon them, we see speaking in tongues associated with that. And we know, at least from this part, that the Jews knew that that had happened because they spoke in tongues. Now let's look at chapter 19. Verse 1, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? What's it take to be saved? Belief. So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. He said, well, then what were you baptized? And he said, John's baptism. And John, Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And what happens? They spoke with tongues and they prophesied. So we see it once again that when they were, the Holy Spirit came upon them, They spoke with tongues. Now they did two other things as well. They prophesied and they magnified God. Prophecy, what is that? What's the foretelling of the future, right? Not necessarily, because it literally means that it's declaring of the goodness of God. That's the same thing that magnifying God is. It's declaring the goodness of God. When you get up and you declare the word of God, you are now prophesying, you are speaking the word, you are declaring the word of God. So we see this going on, we see this pattern here. Four out of five times, without a doubt, we can see as a result of the Holy Spirit coming upon somebody, they speak in tongues. you guys agree? Do you guys see that? This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel in the last days. Does that mean that that has ever ceased? The only way that can possibly happen is if the last days already happened and we got a second set of last days that went on because that's what the scripture says. Now, what does that tell us? It doesn't tell us what this is, does it? Because I will tell you guys right now, this is misunderstood. It has been misused. It has been sometimes used incorrectly. But what if I told you that we could go to Scripture and we could figure that out? You see, the thing is, guys, is this is where we need to be, is we need to be with the Word. It's, it's no different that, I asked you guys a, a while back when we were first getting into the series, I said, how many of you guys believe in the power of healing? And everybody raised their hand, right? And I said, well, we shouldn't. We should believe in the power of God. And I said this, why do you believe in healing? And most responses, I've seen somebody be healed. And that's great. But guess what? Those people in Samaria believed in Simon because of the works that he did. We need to believe in the things of God based off of what his word says. If we can't show it in scripture, then we shouldn't be married to it. I have shown you that every time the Holy Spirit came upon somebody after Acts 2, with the exception of one time where it doesn't say they spoke in tongues, Peter has said that that's the same thing that will happen until the return of Christ, right? That's what he says. The Great and Awesome Day of the Lord. We know what that is. You can look that up. So that means that when the Holy Spirit comes upon people today, should we see the same thing? According to Scripture, the answer has to be yes. And if that's the case, then we ought to know what this is. And just as important, we should know what it's not. And that's what we're going to get into next week. Guys, all I ask from you, I know this can be controversial. I know a lot of you in here have been, you know, know this stuff and have learned this stuff years ago. But let's stick with the Word. Let's not make it something it's not. Let's not make it less than what it is. If it is a promise of God and if it was given to them, then there must be a benefit to it. And we should probably understand what it says. So let's be so committed to the word that we won't just have a preconceived notion of what this might be. But we're willing to go wherever scripture will guide. Sound good to y'all?